The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. It's Matt Slick Live. Matt is the founder and president of the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, found online at CARM.org. When you have questions about Bible doctrines, turn to Matt Slick Live for answers. Taking your calls and responding to your questions at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. I forgot to hit, hit the uh, take the mutant button off. Hey, how you doing, everybody? This is Matt Slick. Listen to Matt Slick Live. And today's date is December 8th, 2023. If you want to give me a call, all you got to do is dial 877-207-2276. It's real easy, you know. And uh, if you want to email me, you can do that too. All you got to do is dial, is just email me at info at karm.org. Info at karm.org. And uh, just put in the subject line there. Put in something like a radio topic, radio question. And then um, we can get to it. All right, all right, all right. So uh, we also, if you're interested, we have, um, we have. Uh, let's see, how is it? We have uh, StreamYard. Oh man, I got so many things going on. StreamYard. Now we 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 feed from StreamYard out to Facebook and Twitter and uh, Rumble. And if you want to watch in Rumble, just Rumble.com forward slash Matt Live. If you want to watch in uh, YouTube. It's uh, just youtube.com forward slash Matslick Live. And you can you can watch me sitting here. And uh, that's what I do and talk and stuff like that. We got uh, callers. If you want to give me a call, 877 207 2276. And uh, that's about it. We got some. And I like to do hate mail on, uh, on Fridays, but we're getting low on hate mail. Oh, man, what am I doing wrong? I'm getting low on hate mail. And uh, let's see. Also, hey, I just got to let you guys know, all right, that we stay on the air by your support. And I know Christmas is often a difficult time for a lot of people, and I get it. I just want to ask you, if you'd be so kind, as to consider supporting us at $5 a month. It's not a whole bunch, but it's just $5 a month. If you could do that, that helps us out a great deal. And if you do... Uh, then it's matched. We have a matching funds drive at $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever it is that you would do. So we were just asking that you would consider that. And to do that, all you got to do is go to karm.org, C-A-R-M dot O-R-G forward slash donate. And I just want to give you a heads up on why. Look, let me tell you something. We just had our Friday meeting. We have a, a weekly CARM Friday meeting. We talked to uh, our guy in Malawi, Africa, and we talked to our guy in Nigeria, Africa. And in Nigeria... Something interesting is happening. He's been going around uh, spreading the gospel and feeding uh, the flock. He's been using the CARM Statement of Faith, which is rather lengthy. It's kind of a succinct, uh, systematic theology. It just has the basics. But it's if you print it out, probably, I would do that sometime. I should print it out to see how many pages it's going to be. So I can just know. But at any rate, it's, uh, it's, it's very good, even if I do say so myself. And he's been printing it up and distributing it at churches and preaching the true gospel. And two more groups now, out of the th- uh, additional three, have come out. Well, that's cool. Have come out of uh, out of the false churches because they're teaching the prosperity stuff, and have come out of there and um, are now they they want to start a church. Now I'm not saying we're going to start it, but they want to get a fellowship group going, and they want to be under the CARM authority. 
because they don't because it's, he said it's a really big deal there to be under the authority of someone that's just how they are in that culture and so uh, he asked could we be under the karm umbrella and okay i don't see any problems with that we have to work out some logistics and things like that and it looks like uh, i think if i understand five groups now are leaving Bible study groups are leaving their respective churches and they're coming to faith in Christ, believe in the gospel. If you like that kind of stuff, if you want to support that kind of a thing, please consider supporting us. We really could use that at the end of the year, especially we support the missionaries. We have a missionary in Portugal, not Portugal, but he speaks Portuguese and in Brazil. And uh, we, you know, we we support him, and he feeds children as well as pastors a church, and he works in the Portuguese version of Carm, translating everything into Portuguese, and is reaching thousands and thousands and thousands of people in Brazil and in Portugal. There's millions of people who speak Portuguese all over the world, and they're using the site. We have Carlos in uh, Bogota, Colombia, and he's very good at uh, theology. And he has translated thousands of articles, in, thousands or hundreds, I don't know how many hundreds of articles uh, in CARM. And uh, he's fluent in English, fluent in Spanish, knows the theology, and he has been doing the schools, Bible studies, teaching pastors, and working through a university down there, and we're supporting him. You guys, if you are supporting us, that goes in and helps support them. And you get to, you don't even realize how many different uh, avenues of support are being reached. And we need to tell people more about that in our newsletters and things like that. So I'm just letting you know, if you want to support us, 877. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> if you want to support us, just go to carm.org, C-A-R-M dot O-R-G forward slash donate. Everything you need's right there, even the P.O. Box address and stuff like that. We do appreciate it. And uh, one last breath about that is that we're doing matching funds drive uh, for the month of December. Whatever you donate, whatever is postmarked in the, in the P.O. Box, by December 31st, midnight, and whatever you go in and do is also um, appreciated and doubled. All right, let's get to Diego from California. Welcome, Diego. You're on the air. Uh, hello. Hello. Thank you for allowing me to be on the air. So I wanted to ask you a question regarding open theism. So mm-hmm. at my high school, my Bible teacher has been, he teaches a worldview and apologetics class for seniors. And his goal has been to make sure that those going off to college and into adulthood would be able to adamantly defend the Christian faith from other religions and false ideologies. However, despite his efforts, he himself has unfortunately fallen into deception about God's relation to time. To start off, he believes that God cannot be outside time and will often assert that, and I quote, time is not a place, is something we experience outside time, is a non-starter, is nonsense, end quote. And thus, when he debates with people like me in my class about it, he'll make this point along with saying if God or any being that was outside time, if they were, they would be ecstatic. But since the person of Trinity can commune with one another, this means God experiences a duration of events, meaning he is in time. Secondly, he also believes that God does not know who's going to be saved and does not know all the actions individuals will make in the future. He then points to 1 Samuel 15.35, where God regrets making Saul king and asserts that this can only make sense if God did not know what he was going to do. He denies the use of anthropomorphism being used for God in the Bible, believing it's adding something that is not there. And he was teaching all this from going over different views about the relationship between God's sovereignty and man's free will, such as Calvinism, Arminianism, and Molinism. 
Calvinism in particular, he seems directly opposed to. And he has openly said when asked by me if you're a Mormonist that he was not a Mormonist. He did not state the name of the view of which believes God's in time was. However, it's very clear that he is espousing open theism in his class, though he has never explicitly spoken of the term open theism directly. So my first question is, how do you respond to open theists, and how would you respond to my Bible teacher's claims for God being inside of time? Okay. First of all, I'd like to offer my services that if, uh, you know, I'll challenge this guy to a debate. Tell him that I'll cha- I challenge him to a debate that he can have in his classroom, and we can have a live discussion, and we go back and forth. Okay? I'll do it over... Oh, over, well, uh, thank you for that. I'm serious. Okay, Skype, and I will be glad to destroy open theism. And it, you know, it's depending on how long the class is. Might want to do two classes. You can offer it publicly in the class. Hey, I know a guy, blah blah blah, who says he'll challenge you. Right, you know, in the class, he'll come online, and you guys, we can all hear it about open theism and what you're saying. And you want to debate Calvinism? Oh, that'd be him. great. Yeah, you tell him and say this guy's very knowledgeable on Calvinism, and would be glad to debate you on that also. I mean, okay, and I'm going to say, if you want, I'd be glad to uh, meet online with any of your fellow students outside of the classroom who want to fire questions, and I'll answer them for them, and I'll show why open theism sucks canal water, okay? I mean, just, there you go. All right. No, I'm serious, okay? I'm serious. Good for you. You prepared a statement, and I like it. took some notes out of it. Here's one of the problems. He says God uh, cannot be outside of time, okay? All right, so if I were discussing this online with him in front of the class, I'd say, what does it mean to be outside of time? What does it mean? Well, how's he going to answer it? He doesn't know what it means to be outside of time. Then how are you saying God cannot be outside of time? Because you don't even know what the term means. You don't have any reference for it, but yet you're going to say there's a concept outside of time, which you don't know what it is, and God can't be outside of time, which you don't know what it means. So how would you know that he can or cannot do about something you cannot define and know what it is? first mistake of, of logic he cannot do it his whole premises then falls apart from this right there if he says God is in time well then I'm going to ask him is he a pantheist or a panentheist and it's a trick kind of question because a pantheist says God and the universe are one and the same a panentheist says God is in the universe well if he's in the universe is he then subject to the laws of physics and what time is another thing I could do is ask him well what is time and what theory of time do you hold to a theory or B theory okay it's everything always happening in sequence and none things aren't known or does everything happen all at once and God is simply knowing them that we're experiencing them sequentially? A theory, B theory. He doesn't know, probably. He doesn't even know, probably know, even know what those things are. And he doesn't know who's going to get saved? Well, then how can you impute the sins of people to Christ? Because if the open theist, as lame as that theological position is, well, 1 Peter 2.24 says, He bore our sin in his body on the cross. What sin did he bear for my sin, born 2,000 years after Christ? What sin did he bear if he doesn't even know I'm going to be born or know what sins I'm going to commit? How could he cancel the certificate of debt, the sin debt, at the cross, Colossians 2.14? How does he do that if he doesn't know what sins you've committed? And if I have not committed a certain sin, ABC, but I have committed a sin, XYZ, well then, which one of those need to be atoned for? Well, he won't know. 
because God doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know what Jesus is going to do because Jesus is human, has free will. How is he going to know? Is Jesus going to go to the cross? I don't know. But you know what the God of open theism says a lot of times? You know what he says? He says things like this. Whoops. Oops. I didn't know about that. Oh, I didn't. That's, that's a surprise. That's the God of open theism. How does such a God decree that eternity is going to happen in all things? How does he know that the crucifixion is going to happen? Well, the open theist comes back and says things like, well, he just pushes the generic movements of big things to bring about what he wants. Oh, so now he knows how people are going to react in certain situations. He's, is he omniscient? Does he know all things present? And we get all these things. It's just so many, so many things he doesn't know about. In 1 Samuel 15, 35, he denies open uh, anthropomorphism right away. But look, I take him to Genesis 3. So I say, does God know everything? Some open theists say he does. Everything knowable right now in the present. Good. All right. So did he know where Adam and Eve were in the garden when they hid themselves? Of course he did. Then why did he say, where are you? Because he's speaking anthropomorphically. That's how God works. And for you to be so dismissive of anthropomorphisms is nothing more than an exegetical and logical failure on your part. If he wants to get into Calvinism with them, I would politely just say, I'd warn him, you don't want to do that. I know this topic very well. But if you want to speak against it, I can respond to you and I can ask you questions you can't answer. And I'd be glad to do all of it in front of the classroom because I do not like it when teachers claim the name of Christ and then teach stuff that injures the faith of people. That I don't like, and I want to put up with it, and I'd be glad to tackle them. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for speaking me uh, speaking to me about this. I would definitely tell him, because he actually runs a podcast called Educate for Life, which you uh -huh. can find on YouTube. Hey. Where, hold on, where we got a break. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We got a break. We yeah. got a break. I want you to say this after the break, okay? Right. Sorry, buddy, we got to go. Hold on. Hey, folks, we'll be right back after these messages. We'll talk to Diego. I wonder if he's in San Diego. Anyway, in California. Be right back. Please stay tuned. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. Let's get back on with Diego. Hey, Diego, where are you in California? Just curious. Uh, I'm in, like, El Cajon. It's in the San Diego County oh, area. Yeah, I know where yeah, I know El Cajon. I was, I've been there many times. Yeah. I used to live in Escondido. So you're uh, uh, Diego from Sa almost basically San Diego. I'm just checking. All right. It's all good. <laughs> okay, so you were saying, you were saying, he's got this, this podcast channel, right? Uh, yeah, I can email information you about that if you're sure. curious afterwards. And I'll mm -hmm. definitely talk to my uh, teacher about that because he loves this kind of uh, stuff. I don't know if he'd be willing to, but I'll definitely talk to him. And I'll let you know if he's interested in debating you regarding this topic. Sure. And see if you can talk to the kids. I call them kids. I mean, I'm old. But uh, if, you know, fellow students, if you could say to them, hey, look, I got this guy named Slick on the radio. We'll talk about this. You can fire questions. Come over to your house or whatever it is. And you do a phone thing, laptop, whatever it is. And I'll just go, like, fine, I'm in. Just fire questions. And I'll, I'll show you why open theism doesn't work and how bad it is, if they're interested. Okay? Yeah, okay. And then I have one last question. So why sure. do people believe in open theism and what do its adherents think makes it beneficial? Like, is there some sort of way they believe that it's easier to get people to turn to Christ through it or what, what, 
what do they gain from believing it? Well, they gain error, but I don't know what the motives are because they vary from people. But generally speaking, here's a generic principle. Biblically speaking, God is the sovereign king over all things. Humanist philosophy elevates man's freedom, man's thinking, man's rationality. Open theism is the exaltation of man's free will. God cannot know the future because man must have free choices. Therefore, God can't ordain what man chooses because man has to be free. It's a humanist philosophy that's been woven into Christian theology, and the combination is uh, heresy. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for speaking me thanking me about uh, this topic. I was emailing Eric Johnson, who runs the Mormon Research Ministry, about this topic. He said it would be great to talk to you about it, so I'm glad that I Young did. Uh, thank you for your time. So, are you you're definitely alcoholic because he was too, and uh, you know, I know Eric and Bill McKeever and stuff like yeah. that. So, what church is this down there that this is happening at, or at school, or whatever? Yes, well. He's not uh, part of the church. My teacher, he's not part of the church, but the uh, church for my school is at is uh, Shadow Mountain. That's what yeah. I thought. For the area. Yeah. Yeah, Shadow Mountain shouldn't let him teach. If he's going to teach open theism, you might want to go to the staff. Shadow Mountain's supposed to be pretty good. Okay. And Eric, I know, still has connections there. So, uh, at any rate... Uh, the guy needs to be corrected. I'd be glad to fly down there and do a public debate on open theism with this guy. Okay? Fly into, you know, just drive over there on the 8, get out to El Cajon, and go for it. All right? I can do it. All right? I'm serious. Yeah. I don't like heresy. Yeah, I'll okay. let him know. Yeah. Thank okay. you. All right, man. God bless, buddy. All right. That was Dago from San Diego. Hey, how about that? I used to live in San Diego County. All right, let's get to Carol from Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi. Yes, hi. Um, I have a question about uh, the morality before uh, the flood. And um, how did people know about morality? Was it just word of mouth? Was it written down? Was it innate? in them and they just decided to ignore it okay first of all that's a good question and second uh the morality was begun by god and the revelation of it by god of the tree the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat okay and so that was a moral statement and so it was from the from god right there from the beginning now adam and eve were very very wise they're very competent of course they blew it and they had children. They would have undoubtedly, excuse me, I had to cough there. They would undoubtedly have taught their children but, uh, the right and the wrong. They had learned from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they would have had that knowledge from that, and they would have um, taught their children. Now, they were redeemed because the Lord, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ, was in the garden and shed blood, killed an animal, covered them with animal skins in order to cover them so they were atoned for. So that would yeah. be just the basic answer of where morality it came from God, revealed uh, you know, more specifically through Adam and Eve and their children. Plus, when you go to Romans chapter 1, it talks about uh, 
if you read, read Romans 1, 18 through uh, 32, you can see that it talks about those aspects of knowledge that are innate in people. They know the truth, but mm-hmm. they, dis- they deny mm-hmm. it. So the law of God is written on the hearts of people. And you go to Romans 2 yeah, for that as well. well. I, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. That so, help? in other words, well, in other words, uh, I guess, because you read about right before the flood, you know, and Noah was trying to tell these people, you know, the world's not going to be good to, to stay in. Yeah. And they just ignored him. And there was nobody but Noah and his wife and his three boys and their wives. And that was it. And it no, there was a lot of people. They, there was a lot of people. They got I'm sorry? There was a lot of people. Yes. They, yeah. Everybody. And, everybody did and, except for Noah's family. Yeah, and the the law of God is written on the hearts of people. You go to uh, John, uh, Romans two fifteen, that the, the work of the law written on the hearts. And so they know it. They're just suppressing it in their unrighteousness. And so judgment comes upon them yeah. for Romans four, uh, Romans 1. And so God wiped them out. And there's okay. more to that story than just that. But that's where we're at right now for that topic. Okay. okay. And it's and it's, it's ongoing now. That's the way that people want to ignore it now, the same way that yeah, they, they do. were ignoring it. Oh, yeah. yeah. People ignore yeah. the truth of yeah. God's word all the time. They do. I talk to yeah. atheists regularly. They ignore it. I talk to Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Roman Catholics. They ignore the righteousness yeah. of God yeah, for their own their own false religious beliefs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay. You're welcome. Well, God bless. All right. That was Carol. And we have three open lines. If you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. Scott from Spokane. Welcome, buddy. You're on the air. Hey Matt, it's good to it's good to talk to you. I can I can tell you're in a particularly good mood today. Am I right? I was till you showed up, but I guess I'll. Oh, dude, it. I'm sorry. Uh, well, yeah, yeah man, I just wanted to give you a call. Sorry, I'm stuck behind a train here, so I'm not too loud. But um, I just, I just right. had two quick questions, and the first is in Amos uh, three seven, and I'm using the LSB. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. so you know, I know the verse. So. Yeah, so it says, Surely Lord Yahweh does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his slaves, the prophets. And so my question is, you know, I, I know there's other verses that talk about the secret things belong to, to Yahweh and things like that. Uh, and I, I really question this only because I, from what I understand, the LSV is supposed to be the most accurate word for word. And uh, this just seems a little, you, you know what I'm saying? It's it, uh, you know, he doesn't do anything unless he reveals his secret counsel. But I just wonder how this correlates with. The That's it, under the Old Testament covenant. Under the old, I've got the music going. Under the Old Testament covenant, he worked through the prophets to reveal his word to them. It's equivalent to the apostles in the New Testament, how he reveals so it'll be written down and be known by the people. Hold on, man, we got a break. All right. So, hey, folks, if you want to give me a call, eight seven seven two zero seven two two seven six. We'll be right back. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everyone, welcome to the show. Welcome back. If you want to give me a call, two open lines, 877-207-2276. Let's get back on with Scott. Hey, Scott. All right, buddy, welcome back. Hey. 
Okay. Yeah, so um, I just have one more question, and uh, sure. it's sort of broad, but um, so, you know, I imagine CARM is a 501c3, is that right? Yep, that's correct. Yep. Okay, so my question has to do with, with that sort of, and, and you know, it might have been so far back, you know, 30 years or whatever, that it might not be relevant, but I'm actually in the process of beginning stages of wanting to start a ministry, and I was just wondering if you had any tips for me when it comes to, you know, any, any tips at all, really, that would help me with the, the legal stuff sure. or, you know, anything like that. Well, if, if I'd recommend you stay away from 501c3 if you can. And oh, really? There's a lot of, yeah, I wish I'd never done it, but, uh, you know, you don't, it, there's just lots of extra legal things that you got to go through and hoops you got to jump through, and it's not fun. But uh, if you can do it for profit, that's what it's called, it's just, you, you just, you know, you just do what you got to do. But the idea is with 501c3, there's lots of legality and hoops you got to jump through, uh, but at least people can get a tax deduction out of them. Where if they if you don't have a five one c three then you can't. Now some people say, well, that's you're under the control of the government. No, you're not. It doesn't work like that. And I can say anything I want about politics. Like Biden is a is a horrible president. And you should not vote for him uh, the next election Amen. if he runs. You know, I can say things like that, and that's whatever. It's my opinion. I can speak. And so uh, there's advantages and disadvantages for it. But we've, we've got a, an accountant who knows the topic well, and he does the CARM taxes. He's usually a year behind every year. And once he quits, uh, we're going to hustle to find somebody else. And it might be one to $2,000 just to have our taxes done for the, for the ministry. And because it's 501c3, uh, I have a record, for example, of uh, every... I think it's every single expenditure. I've tried to do every single one. Sometimes you might miss one or two. Every single expenditure for the entire year. And I've got probably 40, 50, and a running total. And it's on the date and the amount spent and what it was for. I try not to spend too much. You know, so uh, just things like that. Uh, domain names and and uh, payment for mid journey to create uh, copy right uh, copyright copyright free graphics mm-hmm. you know, things like this uh, you know you keyboard you know mid journey yeah it's just it's it's AI stuff you know and uh, oh. just various things you know so you keep records on everything okay. and it I becomes got, a pain you know one more more a little more specific and uh, you know I was just wondering. You know, I wasn't always a, a saved, regenerate man. I, I used to be involved in a lot of crime, and so I have a felony on my record, a theft charge from six years back. And I'm just wondering, will that okay. hinder me if I do decide to get Shouldn't. 501c3? Shouldn't. I don't see why I would. It's just a, a filing procedure, and you have to have certain laws and certain things. I would hire a lawyer to do it, and it may cost a little bit too much or not or whatever. But it's just, it's easy. It's we did it in California, and it wasn't that difficult to do. We went in online and just asked, and uh, was it online? I don't remember how we did it. Anyway, we figured it out, and then we moved the uh, the uh, headquarters, so to speak, from California to here in Idaho. That took a couple of years uh, just to go through the process mm-hmm. really slowly. We didn't push it. You know, we just kind of did it here and there. And, uh, you know, we're a 501c3, so people can get tax-deductible stuff. It's just it's a, a pain on our end. And another thing we got to do, for example, is next month, my wife she keeps records of all the stuff that we that people donate. 
she has to keep records of them and she does and I'm glad she's doing it because I hate that kind of stuff of course I love radio she hates dirt radio you know so she does that and what we have to do is then develop it's hard to explain we'll, we'll put it this way we have to send an end of year uh, official letter that has our tax ID number fed ID number stuff like that uh, with their name and how much they donated to this ministry for the year so that they can file it with their tax tax uh, people we have to provide that for hundreds of people each year and it's usually a pain uh, but we have a friend who helps me run through stuff in a certain system that we can merge otherwise one year we had to literally do cut and paste it took my wife two days of, of a few hours a day cutting and pasting information into a, a template and hitting send in uh, in Gmail I mean you know it's what it is it's just stuff like this is what happens people don't realize <laughs> how much work is behind the scenes uh, to run this ministry um, like today I I've only been able to do productive development work on CARM for less than one hour as far as writing material goes just for one hour I had to do a, a several other things a meeting and then that's fine you know, no complaints me and, and going to the PO box and the returning phone calls and, and just taking care of stuff I haven't even gotten to the emails today you know and that's just it's just how ministry is it just takes work and it's like any job you have there's just lots of stuff to it Praise God. You just need to know what you're getting into, and, and that's what it is. Okay? All righty. Well, thank you very right. much. And I will uh, talk to you okay. soon. Have a Merry Christmas, friend. You too, buddy. All right, man. God bless. All right. Well, that was Scott, and we did a thing. He and I and the other guy went down to uh, Salt Lake City and did a, an outreach down there a few months ago. It was fun. Oh, yeah. That's right. Michelle from California. Welcome. You are on the air. Thank you. Hi. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with this um, story about the blind man um, who Jesus healed. So there's those three accounts where the gospel, of the Gospels that tell the story about the healing of the two blind men by Jesus around Jericho. And I don't know if you're familiar with people who said, and I read that Luke says the healing occurs as Jesus was entering Jericho. Mark and Matthew record it happening as Jesus left Jericho. And then Jesus also, they also says that the blind man, um, uh, oh, where was that spot? Um, there was two men, and, the, and one of the accounts says there was one. I mean, you probably have heard that, mm-hmm. right? So can you explain yeah. it? Mm-hmm. Well, off the top of my head, I don't remember, but uh, it's uh, Mark 10, you said, right? I'm trying to see if I have written... Well, oh, I've got a number. Yeah, it's, thing out of, out of, Mark, out of it's Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And Luke, it's Luke 18, um, and I believe okay. it's Mark... Um, hang on, I know I should have had it already for you. That's all right. Matt, um, I'm seeing if, I have, if I've already written on it. That's what I'm looking for. My Bible. It's Mark ten. Okay. And then Luke. Um, let's see. Let's see it in Mark. Luke eighteen. Um, and. 15. Yeah. How many blind men 10, did 40. Jesus meet? Yeah. You know, Mark eighteen thirty-five. Yeah. I've written on that. 
Two yeah, blind yeah. men, one blind man, one. There's no contradiction. Uh, Matthew 20, 29 through 30 makes it clear that Jesus was leaving Jericho, that there were two blind men sitting by the road. If there were two blind men, then there's certainly at least one as well, because one plus one is two. And, you know, sometimes the gospel writers don't mention only one, even when someone else is there. It just doesn't mean it's only one. Uh, the one focused on was Bartimaeus, uh, both called out for healing. Perhaps mm -hmm. Mark and Luke focus on Bartimaeus' account because he was the loudest and most determined, a point worth focusing on for spiritual reasons. God wants us to be persistent in laying our needs before him. So that's one possibility. The other possibility is that there's two accounts, uh, that he could have healed someone going into Jericho as well as coming out of Jericho. There's certainly a possibility there. And by the way, I've been to Jericho been there twice and mm. it's really cool to walk through and literally i've literally walked on the walls that fell it's just awesome but at any rate so uh, getting in and getting out uh could be that all right so uh that's one of the possibilities okay my son-in-law is was presenting those to me as you know the bible is not accurate so okay. i didn't know why it would say that okay uh, I can do more research on it, but uh, when people okay, we got okay, we got nobody waiting, so we can talk about this. Generally, they're critics of the Bible. They're often atheists, and they go to a website that often takes things out of context and just puts things in juxtaposition to try and make a contradiction occur when one isn't there. So one of the things There's I will do a, is I'll ask them. Go ahead. He's actually a yes. Bible student at Bryan College in Tennessee. Bryan College in Tennessee. And he's saying the Bible's corrupted? He's, saying, he's, he's, saying? he's trying to get me to... I don't know what he's doing. He's like on this quest to prove something. Okay. I don't understand why he would say that. Okay. Um... Yeah, I don't know either, but we got a break coming up. So let's talk about the logic of contradictions and things like that. We'll be right back, okay? We've got to deal okay. with that. Hey, folks, we'll be right back after these messages. Please stay tuned. Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Let's get back on. Whoops, there we go. Let's get back. Oh, I gotta hit that thing right there. All right, Michelle, you are on the air. Yes. Okay, you're right. Okay. So, uh, all right, so there's, like I said, there's different possibilities, and I'm going to get into some logic stuff for, in a minute. One theory is that there's two Jerichos. Okay, and that, we could talk about that, uh -huh. and, and there's some issues there. Another one is that he healed one going in and another coming out. So that's uh, a possibility. And a third possibility is that, um, is that uh, the gospel writers were focusing on something specifically. And there's some evidence about a gate in Jericho that could be perceived as leaving and entering. I have to research that some more. So here's one of the things I talk about with uh, with the critics or people who say the Bible's got contradictions. I'll ask them, can you define for me what a contradiction is? It's the first question I'll ask them. And they will say, well, you know, one guy says this, another guy says that. I said, 
Okay. I said, let me give you an illustration of something. I'd say, I'd say he and I, I'll use him and, and myself, are at an intersection and we're across the street from each other diagonally. And there's an accident that occurs right in front of us. We're both looking into the intersection and there's a black car and a white car and they just have a mild fender bender in the middle of the intersection. And the police come and no one's hurt and they just, you know, taking our, our statements. Not a big deal. And I say, and I tell the person, I say, you say that one person got out of the white car and I say two people got out of the white car. Is that a contradiction? And the answer is, no, it is not. People can see different things from different angles. If the person said, I saw one person get out of the car, another person says, I saw two people get out of the car, that's not a contradiction. It's a contradiction if one person says, there was only one person in the car, and the other mm -hmm. person says, there were two people in the car. Now, both those statements cannot be true at the same time, because if there's one person and only one, it's not possible to be two. Now we have a contradiction, and we have to get to the facts. So if one person says, well, I saw one, and the other person says, I saw two, it's not a contradiction. And this mm -hmm. is a point of logic that a lot of people just fail. And I say, show me why it's a contradiction in the scripture. Now I want them to say, well, one says going into Jericho was one, and the other one says going into Jericho it was two. Okay, say, so, all right, does it, is it a contradiction? Mm -hmm. Because does it say that there was only one that he dealt with going in? No. So logically speaking, it's not a contradiction, is it? See, oh. it's, just, it's simple. Yeah. And they don't like that. They don't like me using logic like that with them. And they'll say, I don't care what you say, it's a contradiction. I say, well, if you don't care what I say, and you don't care about the logic and the truth that's related to this, then why are you even asking? Because you have a belief system right. that is unassailable, and when logic is presented against it, you don't care. So you're not interested in truth, are you? Mm -hmm. Okay? Good point. And then another thing, another thing I'll do is say, why are you bringing this up? What's the reason you're bringing this up? To show the Bible's mm -hmm. not trustworthy. And I'll say, let me ask you a question. Ask you a question. Let's say you have a recipe book, and it's 500 pages of all kinds of recipes, and there's one recipe for baked chicken. You have this recipe for baked chicken. And mm -hmm. uh, there's a typo, a typo in there. Instead of half a cup, it says 25 cups of flour. Okay? Mm -hmm. It says 12 cups instead of one slash two. You know it's a typo, right? Yeah. Does that mean... Right. That the whole recipe is not valid? No. Okay. Well, then what's the problem here? If you want to say there's a contradiction in the Bible, which it doesn't exist there, then you have a reason. You're trying to undermine. But you're saying if this isn't accurate, that therefore the whole thing is false? Because that's called the fallacy of composition. The fallacy of a composition is, is like this. You open up the the engine of a, the, I mean the the hood of a car, and the engine is blue. It's all been painted blue, and you say, well, the engine is blue, therefore all of the car is blue. What's true of the part mm -hmm. is true of the whole. That's called the fallacy of composition. Well, that's not logically true. Okay. So if there's a so to speak contradiction in the Bible, which I don't grant there is, but if they say there is. Does it mean the entire Bible is not trustworthy? 
because that's a fallacy composition. If they therefore say, well, no, it's not, but it claims to be inspired, then I'm going to bring up another topic. I'll say, do you know what inspiration means and what is it in reference to? This is where they, you know, you got to teach them, right? Mm-hmm. See, inspiration deals with, right, and I educate people, inspiration deals with the originals, not the copies. You can understand something. I say a lot of Christians don't know this. I'll tell them this. I say, let me explain. The autographs are the original documents penned by the um, by the, the, the writers of the Bible. Whatever they wrote mm-hmm. originally is absolutely perfect without any error whatsoever. That does not mean that there aren't copyist errors, because there are copyist errors. And then sometimes they'll say, well, that means the Bible's not trustworthy. Does the recipe mean it's not trustworthy if there's a typo in it? The whole thing's gone? Of course not. See, Mm -hmm. you're overreacting. Out of the thousands of manuscripts of the New Testament, for example, that are in Greek, like 6,000, are like 99.85% textually identical. There are variants that occur. And the three major variants are the comma Jehanium of 1 John 5, 7, the woman caught in adultery in John 8, and the ending of Mark, Mark 16, 9 through 20. And so these are the three major issues. And there are textual variants. And I say to the people, you know why they exist? I try and use these to support the Bible. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't realize it. You know why they exist? Because they really are that old. They really are from 2,000 years ago. And they really were distributed all over the Mediterranean area. And so the real people did copy them. And you know what? They did make mistakes. Because, like, for example, the word the in Greek is a O with a little comma over the top of it. It's like our word A. You know, I went and picked mm-hmm. up a picture. The word A is a single letter. Well, in Greek, the word the is a single letter. That's an O. Well, what happens if you copy a document and the letter A, which is the word of that document, falls off because the old document gets, you know, it's flaky, literally it flakes off or a smudge, mm-hmm. it's gone. Does that mean the entire document's not trustworthy? Well, of course not. So I say, why are you saying then that it has to be like this? Where did you get this that it means the word of God isn't trustworthy? Where did you get that? And so I teach them while I challenge them. And then I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I come back and say, so did Jesus rise from the dead? Ask your, <laughs> so whoever that is, ask him that. Did he rise from the dead or not? If he denies he rose from the dead, then he's not a Christian. He's a heretic. Working, He's an antichrist. And if he says, yes, he did, say, well, then how do you know? Well, because the Bible says so. So let me ask you, are you trying to show the Bible has problems, and yet you believe he rose from the dead? Explain to me how those two apparent opposing views work together. I'm, I'm curious. Okay. Yeah. Stuff like that. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Thank you. I appreciate the explanation. It helps. Yeah. So just remember, there are copyist errors in the Bible. It's a fact. But okay. there's so much redundancy, and it's a fact, there's so much redundancy in the scriptures that uh, here, let me give an illustration of something. This is just I, I like to use this as a teaching uh, tool. Let's say John wrote the Gospel of John, and well, of course, hundred percent of everything is perfect. And let's just say that two copies of, are made of John. 
And what's interesting about the Gospels in Greek is, and it works in Hebrew too, but we'll focus on Greek. In Greek, they only have one set of characters that they use for both numbers and letters. We have two sets, mm -hmm. one, two, three, A, B, C. They only have one set, alphabeta, gamma, delta, and these are also, the letters are also numbers. So when you're writing letters, you're also writing numbers. The reason that's important is because when they would copy a document, the original document was written in what's called a codex, which is a page like we have in our books. They call it codex, C-O-D-E-X. And they would write these, uh, the original would be written like that. Okay, so that means then that you could uh, take a piece of paper or parchment, whatever it is you'd use, and add up the letters of each row and have a mathematical value of the total. It's a mathematical check. And you could do each letter like that. And you could have these verified and have as a template next to that particular codex page that these have been verified by three people. These are the exact mathematical values of every letter. Then you copy that codex, that one particular page. A scribe would do this. Then what they would do is add mm -hmm. up those letters on that copy. And if any of them had a discrepancy, what they would do is either go in and do a marginal correction or cross something out and make a thing or start the whole page over again. Well, what would they do then? Let's just say the word the, ha, the O, is missing on one. It was at the end of a line, and he forgot to put it in. He looked. He was tired. And so now you have a copy mm -hmm. that's missing this one letter. Does it mean the entire thing is not trustworthy? No, it doesn't. Because particularly how Greek works, the nominative singular and all that. I won't get into that. And so, okay, so then the, what they would often do is put a, a, in a margin, they would write ha and uh, at, next to a word that was supposed to be next to. And they would take that codex and they would use it as a teaching page. And it wasn't uh, like to be preached out of, it was to be taught out of because you knew that little error, a copy error was right there. But it was, wasn't a problem because this was expensive to do and time consuming. It's not like, hey, we'll take a picture and I'll email you the picture of the page. It doesn't happen like that. You have to get, right. you have to get the paper, the, the light, you have to get the ink. You got to get the pen. You have to, I mean, and then you have these guys who are trained in copying because their profession uh, dealt with this and depended on their accuracy. So then you'd have these copies. The word "ha" is in a marginal variant now, and then it would be used for two, three hundred years. Well, what happens? You know, you're just using it now for two, three hundred years. It gets put away, put away in a in a, a clay pot, and gets forgotten about. And then archaeologists later find it. There's a copy. And it can be dated by the pot and the type of ink and the type of paper. And they can say that comes from the second century from this geographical area. And we have a variant, the word the. And so people say, see, that proves the Bible's corrupted. No, it doesn't. It just shows that it really was uh, ancient and that real people right. were involved with copying it. But the New Testament documents, where you match everything, like if you were to take all the documents and put overlay them, the variants, like less than a half a percent and nothing in ancient history even comes remarkably remotely close to the accuracy and then if you have the two documents with the word ha missing the word the missing and another document it's there two documents it's there you know it belongs there it's a variant but it's not a problem this is how all this stuff works okay well so ask your well i ask him what's yeah your, what's i didn't going? know how to answer i'll Clearly, I didn't. I couldn't explain it the way he did to him, so I was dumbfounded and couldn't explain it. 
So yeah, it, there you go. I hope that helps. And have him call me on the show. It does help. Oh, okay, that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Well, God bless. Hope you have a great weekend. Thank you. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. All right. There's the music. Perfect timing, folks. We do need your support. Please consider supporting us. If you like this, you want to continue, just go to carm.org, C-A-R-M dot O-R-G forward slash donate. Whatever you donate the month of December will be doubled. It's a matching funds drive. May the Lord bless you. By his grace, we're back on the air Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Another program powered by the Truth Network.